Welcome to Season 2 of Fracktown Gumshoe, Holy Fits, based on the novels by Deborah Gaskill. Chapter 17 I parked at the end of the Abbey's driveway and pulled a pair of infrared binoculars, normally used to catch errant spouses sneaking out of hotel rooms, from the glove box. Focusing on the house at the end of the drive, I couldn't see any activity. The lights in the front of the house were out and no one was moving around the property. I didn't know if Kovach ran back there after our confrontation at Lupe's or if he decided his con as yet another priest was up and he was hitting the road. I turned in my seat, trying to view through the binoculars if Reisner's FBI agents were still around. Nothing. They were probably chasing down the woman who killed their boss. Kovach wasn't going anywhere as far as they knew. They could come back to him. They'd been looking for him for a year and a half. A high-ranking agent killed at the hands of another armed agent was higher priority. That might be my opportunity to go in and grab Eileen O'Connor and possibly the young woman Slocum saw before Fiona came back to exact her revenge on their leader. Probably the best way to sneak in would be through the back of the property from the north of the barn, which wasn't too far from the back of the old farmhouse. I tossed the binoculars into the seat next to me and pulled down the road to the wide spot where I parked there on two other occasions. Someone had beat me to the spot, driving a primer gray piece of shit that looked entirely too familiar. I parked behind it and got out of the excursion to look it over. The car doors were locked, but on the front seat I could see a polka-dotted purse. Was that Mary Margaret's new purse? The one that was on her desk when we came into work yesterday? One way to find out. I went back to the excursion and pulled out the Slim Jim from a bag of old tools I kept in there. Sliding the Slim Jim between the window and the door frame, it took just a few tries before the lock popped. I rifled through the purse, tossing its contents on the seat. There wasn't a whole lot. A rosary, receipts from the gas station at the end of town, a tube of old lipstick. Any of it could have belonged to anyone. I found the wallet at the bottom of the purse and unzipped it. Damn it. There it was. Mary Margaret's driver's license. I held it between my fingers and sighed. I searched through her purse again. No cell phone. I was sure what was happening now. In spite of what she told me, Fiona had talked Mary Margaret into going into St. Matilda's, feeding all those Nancy Drew fantasies that stupid young woman had. Somehow, Fiona was going to use Mary Margaret to lure Kovach, and when the moment was right, Plug him. She probably talked Mary Margaret into the makeover as part of the plan. I could hear Fee shoveling the fantasy into her head. I was on the Cleveland hostage rescue team. You tell Fitz that you want some time off, then go over to St. Matilda's like you want to join the Abbey. Scope the place out and let me know what's going on. I'll be close by, and when the time is right, we'll both spring your grandmother from that place. Fee didn't anticipate me spoiling her plans by calling Reisner or showing up at Mary Margaret's house, so she had to come back and put me on ice. Fee said she had hitchhiked back to town after killing Reisner. I'll bet it wasn't some dumb farm boy like she claimed. I'll bet it was Mary Margaret. I'll bet Fiona had Mary Margaret pick her up outside of my house after she cold-cocked me. Fiona probably didn't tell Mary Margaret everything she'd done, though. And now that Fiona was on the run, proved by the lack of federal agents outside the Abbey, I was the one stuck getting her and her grandmother out. I slipped through the fence and, crouching low, sprinted across the hayfield towards the barn, my Glock in hand. 
I reached the side of the barn and stopped to catch my breath. This was entirely too easy. I pushed the barn door open and found myself staring down the barrels of what looked like a battalion of weapons. The group was all male, dressed in tactical gear, camouflage, helmets, bulletproof vests, and night vision goggles. I dropped the Glock onto the straw-covered floor and raised my hands. I'm so screwed. God damn it, Fitz. Don't you know when to stay out of something? Fiona pushed her way through the group, a group she clearly wasn't on the run from. Her Kevlar vest identified her as an FBI agent, and she carried her Glock, the same one she'd struck me with. In the semi-darkness of the barn, I could make out her blue tactical pants and black boots. The bruises I thought I'd seen on her face earlier were gone. I lowered my hands. You want to tell me what the hell's going on? Bill Reisner stepped from behind the other agents, smirking. He picked up my gun and handed it to me. He pointed at my bandaged wrists. You worked really hard getting out of those ties, didn't you? And you're supposed to be dead, I said, stuffing the Glock into my shoulder holster. Somebody want to tell me the truth this time? You're pretty tenacious, Fitzhugh, Reisner said. I'll have to give you that. Most folks back off when an FBI agent comes into their office and tells them they may have a rogue agent on their hands, especially one who's looking to avenge a dead spouse and who has reportedly just killed her boss. I started to speak, but Fiona jumped in. We had to tell you something. After Mary Margaret called us, it was the break that we were looking for. Kovach had fallen off our radar, and to know he was so close was almost too good to be true she said. I came down the same day after she called our office. But after talking to Agent Rafferty, we had some concerns about your involvement, Reisner continued. She told us you could be a bit, well, bullheaded. Bullheaded? I stared at Fee. Bullheaded? I would think that wanting to kill a guy because he might be able to tell the truth about a bad shot was a bit bullheaded as well. Fiona nodded. That was complete garbage. We had to tell you something to spook you off the case. Most folks are more concerned with covering their own asses in a situation like that. Anybody with any brains would have walked away. Somebody want to fill me in on the whole situation? I crossed my arms like I deserved an answer. In a way, I did. The white gauze covering my wounded wrists proved it. Like Agent Rafferty said, we've been looking for Kovach for a long time, Reisner said. He had a real ability to slip in and out of an area. Although, when he started this fake pre-scam, it tied him down a bit more, and we could track him a little easier. He always seemed to sense we were on to him, though, and get away before we could lay our hands on him. We got word from the priest in Indianapolis that he might be operating there. Several of this father's congregants were siphoned off to worship with Kovach. He was going by the name Winehouse at the time, and he let us know, Fiona continued. She stopped to collect herself. You know the rest about the shootout and Mark's death. So was it true Fiona didn't want to take time off after her husband died? I asked. Reisner nodded. That much was true. I did remove her from field duty to financial crimes as a way of getting her away from the situation. And she was good at it. Rafferty solved an awful lot of white-collar crimes while she was there. The Kovach case escalated when the priest at St. Rita's died. We knew we had to get there and get him fast before he could possibly kill someone else someone like Eileen O'Connor. You knew about Father O'Malley's death? Only because Mary Margaret told me about it in one of our earliest conversations, Fiona said. 
I relayed that back to Reisner, and he's been working with your coroner, Dr. Lombardo. There's a possibility Father O'Malley was poisoned by Kovach. I knew it, I interjected. Nobody believes me. Even the detective on this case thinks O'Malley died of a heart attack. You yourself said the description of the man who visited him just before his death matches Kovach's description, Fiona said. We're just waiting for results. From what O'Malley told me before his death, he'd warned the bishop that this guy was here. O'Malley was doing everything he could to tell his own flock about this guy, I said. When Eileen O'Connor got taken for 50000 her daughter, Mary Margaret's mother, didn't want to go to the police. She was too embarrassed, so she came to me. Because Ma told them I would fix it for free. It's possible Kovach didn't want to get caught again. He's one smart guy. We think he has knowledge of poisons. And if he's killed once, profilers tell us it's easier to kill again, Reisner said. Since Eileen O'Connor is convinced she's a contemplative and is taking all of her meals in her room, we do have concerns that she's being poisoned slowly, but poisoned nonetheless. I shot Fiona a nasty look. You want to come clean with everything you told me that wasn't true? Reisner raised his hands. Hang on, Fitzhugh, hang on. I'm the one that fed you the line about the hostage rescue team being false. Agent Rafferty actually was a member, and the SWAT team too. Yep, Fiona grinned at me. My conversations with you were an attempt to scare you into thinking I was going rogue. Most of what Agent Rafferty told you was true, Reisner folded his arms. The story of the iffy ballistics at the scene of the Indianapolis shooting wasn't true. Kovach is a hell of a shot, and we think he might be armed right now. The shot that killed Mark Rafferty was definitely identified as coming from Kovach's gun. And the tale that she wanted to kill him for revenge to keep him from testifying against her to save her career? A complete and total falsehood. I looked at Fiona. I expected a grin from her, a smirk, or one of those looks that told me she'd gotten the better of me. I didn't get any of those. So tying me to the chair and knocking me out was just icing on the cake. Your way of getting revenge for everything in the past? You kept trying to come back into the case, Fitz, she said somberly. We couldn't scare you off. I didn't tell you everything because I wanted you to think I was holding something back. That I was unbalanced somehow. When you called SAC Reisner, we knew you were serious. We had to come up with something. That's why you drove down from Pittsburgh to see me? I turned to Reisner. Reisner nodded. I got in the car right after you left that first message. What's the deal with Mary Margaret's makeover? I thought I was just doing a favor for the kid, Fiona said. I thought a little girl time might make her feel a little better about herself. She's a good kid, Fitz, with a good heart. And frankly, you treat her like shit. Then why the hell is her car on the side of the road? I demanded. What? Fiona and Reisner chorused. Yeah, the kid's car is out there parked by the barn. That new purse is on the front seat. If she's inside the abbey and you talked her into it, I'll never forgive you, Fiona. I don't care if you saved my life. What bullshit did you feed my assistant that she thought she could go do that? Did Mary Margaret know you'd been on the hostage rescue team too? Fiona hung her head. Before you chew out Agent Rafferty, this is not what we anticipated and not part of our plan. It looks like Mary Margaret clearly took it upon herself to go into the Abbey, Reisner said. Think about this. Since she'd been at the Abbey earlier this week, she knew the man she called Benedict St. Giles would recognize her. That's the reason behind her asking Agent Rafferty for the makeover. Mary Margaret also knew that Kovach had filed court papers requesting to be her grandmother's conservator 
and getting control of Eileen O'Connor's money. Mary Margaret told you that she and her mother were going away for the weekend. That much was true. On my orders. Agent Rafferty convinced them to step back and think about how to proceed. Tate Slocum told me about a young woman who came to St. Matilda's today, said she wanted to join. I said, Who's Tate Slocum? Fiona asked. Mr. Slocum was a plant by Mr. Fitzhugh, Reisner said. We saw him drop him off there the other morning. It wasn't hard to get a photo of him and take it to the police chief, who referred us to the prosecutor, Miss Linnerman. Miss Linnerman filled us in on the fraud charges she was going to file against him and Fitzhugh's role in getting the video, which would be used to convict him. I did do that much, I said. I'll bet she's pissed as hell. You could say that, Reisner smirked again. But back to the situation at hand. Mary Margaret must be thinking she's somehow going to sneak her grandmother out of the Abbey tonight. She didn't know we had plans to raid the place and take Kovach into custody. That's something we wouldn't share with anyone except for a team member. I didn't find her cell phone when I went through her car, I said. Is it possible she's got it with her? Fiona and Reisner both shrugged. I pulled out my smartphone and began to type out a text with my thumbs. M.M., are you okay? Are you at St. Matilda's? My phone chimed with a one-word answer. Help. My gaze swept the circle of agents who stood behind Fiona and Reisner, silent as the gravity of the situation sunk in. This was worse than I could have imagined. Much, much worse. Reisner stepped back into the darkness and returned with a bulletproof vest. You're here, Fitzhugh, and you've made it clear you're not going away from this case. You know how these situations work. You might as well be part of the rescue. This episode is narrated by Casey Martin. Fracktown Gumshoe is based on the novels by Deborah Gaskill.